It used to be the case that we mostly proved our identity by offering up a piece of paper. Perhaps that seems silly now, at least a little. In the digital age, that is definitely no longer the situation, and for good reason. Right now, we have difficulties of our own. Today, our digital information seems like it is everywhere and available for anyone to access, whether they are well-intentioned or not. Because there is so much information, it's becoming increasingly difficult to prove who someone actually is or is not. Through the use of AI, Persona answers the fundamental question, are you who you say you are? Rick Song is the CEO and co-founder of Persona, and he believes removing humans from the verification process is part of the solution. Everything within Persona fundamentally is AI powered. There is no human in the loop. For end users, there's three major benefits of this. Number one, it's faster. It means that as opposed to waiting an hour, two hours a day for access, it's instead a couple of seconds, two to three seconds in your end. Two, it's privacy first, as opposed to knowing that some person out there is rummaging through your personal information. There's no one looking at this. And three, we also want to make it personalized. If you are someone with like, let's say a lower credit score, unable to have access to a recent immigrant, a lower credit profile, making sure that this individual has alternative ways to be able to verify themselves. Identity in the digital age can be incredibly complex. Therefore, solutions are required that have the capacity to meet the challenge. Artificial intelligence technology can be that answer. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Rick dives into how AI technology is allowing Persona to prove identity with increased speed, privacy, and specificity. He also shares some gems of wisdom that he learned about sales as he transitioned from his engineering background to become a CEO. Enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the CEO and co-founder of Persona, Rick Song, on the show. Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Couldn't be more delighted to be here. Glad to have you. And I want to dive right into it. We ask all of our guests this. What is Persona? What does Persona do? So... Persona is simple. It's an identity verification platform for any use case and for any individual out there in the world. So for any use case, this means whether you're fintech or health tech, ed tech or gig economy, Persona can build a flow that's perfect for your customers. And for any individual, we make sure that any individual can be who they are offline, online, enabling that digital transformation so that way they can be their offline identities and make sure that they are who they say they are, no matter what service they're using out there. All right. So you know, you explained it at a high level, but I do want to dive in a little bit more. What do you mean offline? Like, so if I were to take a step back and listen to what you just said, I would gather that you're some type of SaaS platform that I can plug in and maybe on a software side, it could fit FinTech, health tech, it could fit a lot of different places. Software companies can use Persona to do identification, verification. But then you also said offline. Yeah, that's spot on. So for Persona, what we focus on, identity is an unbelievably complex space today. I'm sure that you know, you've know you spoken with a lot of different executives oh, yeah. talking about identity from the perspective from authentication, for identity access management, and otherwise. For Persona, what we really focus on is actually not on that half around like almost your digital identity. Okay. What we focus a lot more on is your human identity, who you are offline. For example, my name is Rick Song, You know, grew up in uh, Texas, work at Persona, all of these aspects about what does it mean to be myself? You know, in the same way, if you were to see me in person, 
and trying to enable that bridge into an online ecosystem. We've been inundated with a kind of term, the digital transformation, with all these services that have historically been performed offline, from opening a brand new bank account, earning a degree, you know, ordering food to otherwise. All these services that once upon a time were really offline interactions and transactions, these have transformed into online first interactions. And for all these, fundamentally, we care about who's the person behind this group. It's not about, you know, if I'm signing up and I'm, you know, some random username, it's actually, I'm Rick Song. I want to buy some GameStop stock or something like that. (laughs) And for all these different types of services, how we have to be ourselves is getting more complicated by the day. Historically, this might have been your social security number to identify that you are who you say you are. But today, over 70% of American social security numbers have been leaked in some way, shape, or form. Mm. Today, we have deep fakes that enable you to manufacture and construct, uh, almost replicate someone's face with just a small spattering of number of photos of them uh, that may be leaked online. Our digital presence and our digital footprint is ever increasing. And the ability to impersonate, be somebody who we aren't, is becoming easier by the day. So for Persona, we're building the platforms, the tools, the building blocks that enable every business to constantly stay up to date, to be able to make sure that the customers that they're interacting with continue to be who they say they are. And we enable this through a variety of mechanisms, from active approaches, like testing, do you know this about yourself? Can you prove something that you own? Can you show some aspect of, your, you know, of yourself physically from your face, you know, a fingerprint, to the passive aspects of you know, this IP address that seems a little bit more suspicious from a network-based perspective, from a device perspective, from a behavioral perspective, all of these different attributes to kind of create a more holistic assessment as to is this individual who they say they are and for the service that they want to have access to, are they going through the most seamless and streamlined flow? Okay. Now I understand a lot more based on what you're, what you just described. And I have additional add-on questions I want to get to, but I, I do want to make sure that I am talking the right thing. So based on what you said, this kind of reminds me of something I did recently, which was I applied for credit. I applied for credit to purchase a, an investment house. I live in the Raleigh-Durham area. It is a budding area. Apple's coming here. All these companies are coming here. So I'm like, man, maybe I should get an investment house. Ultimately, I haven't done it. But during the credit application process, I had to prove who I was through multiple factors. I had to prove my employment. I had to prove my past financial history. I had to prove I am myself, right? Like you said, social security number, passport, whatever. Um, I had to prove that I had a principal property because this was going to be investment property. They wanted to prove income. So these, all these things about me are, like you said, they're else. They're, typically they were done elsewhere. Or, I mean, I'll tell you exactly how I did it. I downloaded this data from <laughs> different companies and I uploaded it. And yep. There was definitely, you know, they, they can say they had AI all they want, but I'm pretty sure some guy reviewed it. Like, that's, that's how it went down, right? I, I sent in the, that, and then if I sent in enough data, they would say, yeah, I'm me. This is your credit rating. You're eligible for X to borrow. Ultimately, I didn't buy a house. But was that what you're trying to simplify where it's just like I can plug into a home loan and just be like, oh, well, everything's verified instantly. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, let's go. How much credit can I get access to? Is that what, like the goal of Persona? I'd love to hear a little bit, am I on the right track? And then is that the ultimate goal? And what other use cases are you trying to solve for? So I think 100% you're on the right track here. And I'd say there's really two halves to it. The first half is everything that you described there is rather complex. There's actually a number, numerous, numerous things that are happening under the hood. From one perspective, they're assessing you for risk, Yep. right? They're checking that, you know, from all the things, all the interactions that you've just performed, all the data that you submitted, that this all looks to be kosher and it looks correct. 
And oftentimes, this is an immense amount of lift for an organization to put together. Luckily, most likely, you're interacting with the enterprise with millions and millions of dollars of resources at hand. We will implement a fantastic system to really be able to accomplish this. But at the end of the day, the second half is also true, which is, as you mentioned, as much as they want to decorate this with AIML, very likely it's a person who is actually reviewing all of this. Yeah. So that's the second half of where Persona comes in, is not only we're helping you create all of this kind of complexity, enabling and democratizing access to this technology for any business out there and make it such that for businesses don't need 40 engineers, 100 engineers building such a system. We're also trying to make it such that more of it is powered by AI. So everything within Persona fundamentally is AI powered. There is no human in the loop. For end users, there's three major benefits of this. Number one, it's faster. It means that, you know, as opposed to waiting an hour, two hours a day for access. Oh, I had to wait days, days. I had to wait days. Yep. <laughs> days later, yeah. the guy came back to me and said, oh, okay, you're eligible for X amount of credit. It's instead, you know, <laughs> a couple of seconds, two to three seconds and you're in. Two, it's privacy first, right? As opposed to knowing that some person out there is rummaging through your personal information, there's no one looking at this. And in this regulatory landscape that's evolving ever so quickly, making sure that, you know, there's not people looking at this information is going to be more important than ever before. And three, we also want to make it personalized. If you are someone with like, let's say a lower credit score, you know, unable to have access, a recent immigrant, a lower credit profile, making sure that this individual has alternative ways to be able to verify themselves. Historically, for a lot of larger companies, you really need to focus on the 80% of people who, you know, generally will be accessing your platform. The longer and longer tail that you focus on, the more and more kind of uh, the equation around uh, cost benefit doesn't make sense anymore. But luckily for Persona, where we work with so many different businesses, so many different industries, expanding that access is a core aspect of our value proposition, making sure that that seamless fallback to make sure any individual can have access is critical to our platform. So that's the third part that we really want to work with these type of businesses to enable their platform. Okay. So I, I understand it more so now than ever. So you're saying the software is, like you said, it's going to be on the vendor side. It can be on the personal side. So I'm going to equate it to something. And then I, you know, I'd love to you understand, like, you know, say that I'm wrong or continue <laughs> on the analogy, but in a way it's similar to like, I'm equating it to Carfax. Carfax knows everything there is to know about a car. So me as a consumer, I can find information about the car and prove that's right. As a dealer, I have Carfax. I know that when someone tries to trade in the car, that I know everything about it. You're bringing this type of information to the personal level. Now, I know that the Carfax model, the reason why it's successful is because they have access to all this information. So I got to ask, how are you getting access to all this to verify this? Because this is, you know, if I say I work for Mission, that means if I were to apply to Persona and Persona's on the other end of like, it's like the lenders using Persona. That means Persona needs to know that I work at Mission. So how does it know that? So there's three core parts to this as well. The first is it's partnerships. A lot of it fundamentally is working with alternative providers out there, mm -hmm. you know, uh, data sources out there, core databases, even sometimes, you know, government agencies to pull in data to make sure in kosher ways that this person, you know, knows about what they're kind of uh, talking about. But first I want to kind of take a step back into you know, how do we actually identify that this person is who they say they are? Earlier, you mentioned kind of this knowledge about Carfax. And for Carfax, fundamentally, that's actually a form of knowledge-based kind of proof that you are who you say you are because of what you know. Oftentimes, you know, the most native form of this would be passwords. I own this account because I know who I am. Yeah. But at the same time, I can share this password with you. And suddenly, does that mean you're me? Technically, no, right? All it means is that we both have access and privilege the same kind of piece of information. Okay. SSNs is another really great form of this or another kind of analogous form of this where an SSN effectively is a password to our personal identity. If I share my SSN with you, 
a lot of times people assume that you may be me now, even though that ads core, it fundamentally just operates as password. So this all sits under the umbrella of, you know, what do we know, right? And proof by knowledge. The second is really about something that we own. Oftentimes we use things like MFA mm-hmm. for phones and otherwise within the kind of digital identity realm, but within, you know, like, the physical identity realm, this would oftentimes be a government ID. Proving that I own this government ID can be a very, very effective mechanism that this, this person likely is who they say they are. The last form is oftentimes proof of you know, who we are, something much more like intrinsic to ourselves. A great example of this is usually a biometric, a selfie, making sure that this person's alive in front of the camera, and then using all three of these together to really triangulate and make sure that, yes, this person likely is who they say they are. You see how all three of these may interact? It'd be, you know, First, enter in your SSM, all this additional information. On the persona side, we'd be cross-referencing this with a variety of data partners to make sure that this data matches something with an existing database. Second, proof of kind of uh, ownership. And we may be re-requesting a government ID, some sort of proof of uh, documentation or something along these lines to cross-validate and say, yes, this person also owns something. And this will effectively act as a second uh, check in the traditional kind of identity access management world, this be your MFA. And lastly, proof of who you are biometrics, fingerprints, all these things that are intrinsic to ourselves to finally create that last tie towards the physical being to make sure this individual is who they say they are. So Persona operates on all three of these and then simultaneously also colors it with all these passive signals to make sure that things aren't being spoofed, that an individual isn't impersonating and being someone else that they actually are not. And for us, you know, that's where it isn't just about being Carfax at the end of the day. We really take a lot of work on making sure that the entire transaction is being validated end to end. Oftentimes, I make the analogy to where, when, you know, if we were to meet each other in person, it'd be incredibly quick. Like, there's all these arbitrary signals that are indicating that you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. Heck, just the fact that you're 3D in front of me and not just a paper cutout <laughs> most likely means that you're alive, you know, breathing, <laughs> and someone out there, right? But online, all of that is restricted down to a camera and the uploads and a couple of like bits and bytes that are being sent over the wire. So for us, we have to pull a lot harder and try to triangulate and pull in all of this passive information. That historically, when we're having a physical interaction, we're getting, you know, almost for free. So working around all of this makes it such that the identity challenge around who people are physically, who people are offline is a much more sophisticated challenging problem than just the one around like purely and a very different one, to be honest, than the one around access management. And we're really focusing hard on trying to solve that. So okay. to kind of like expand that Carfax analogy, it's a lot more than just actually the data that we have access to. Yeah, no, it's pretty intense. I'm curious. Now this makes a little more sense and we're going to dive into it because when I was prepping the, our interview, I said, hey, there's a, there's a quote you have in uh, an article where you said the article is why the founder of digital identity, identity platform persona feels a looming sense of dread. And it was in Business of Business. And there's a quote you have. Your fingerprint is not you. Your government ID or your driver's license is not you. I'd also go to as far as to say that your face isn't you. And I didn't quite understand what you were talking about then. But now now, now I know exactly what you're talking about. You're, this idea of proving, because I was thinking directly to my mortgage loan or applying for credit, the amount of checks that I had to go through just to say, just for the bank to even be like, okay, you are who you, who you are representing yourself as. And I was thinking about all like the financial and identity fraud cases and crimes that exist. I'm curious for yourself, what use cases were you dreaming of to solve when you started this company? Because typically, most founders start companies to solve a problem, right? So what were you thinking that you were going to solve? Because it couldn't have, oh, maybe it was. I wouldn't imagine it was just, oh, I need to figure out a way to digitally verify someone. It's usually like, I wanted, if I could do this, it'll make this easier. 
I'm curious, why did you start Persona the company? What, what made you go down this path? No, this is a fantastic question. And it really also highlights, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the individual side of things about how do we prove who we are mm-hmm. on an offline kind of perspective and what it means to be yourself. But the other half of Persona is actually much more about the business and making sure that how we do it for each business is really tailored to the business itself. A common analogy in Dodge we talk a lot about here at Persona is, you know, today well, there's so many neobanks. There's a neobank for the underbanked. There's a neobank for immigrants. There's neobanks for teenagers. There's neobanks for the affluent. There's so many different types of neobanks. But for each one of these, you know, historically, they've all had the exact same signup process. If you're a recent immigrant, the probability that you have a strong credit background is significantly lower than someone who grew up out here and has affluent. Yeah, you got nothing. <laughs> right. And it's, it's fundamentally different. And for each of these, to believe that the identity experience for every type of business is the same is a world that we believe is going to be fundamentally changing. We don't think that this is where yeah. things are going to be moving towards. And for that, instead, Persona's other half is all about enabling businesses to customize, to tailor. If you're targeting immigrants, that means a lot more about passports. It's a lot more about alternative data sources beyond kind of like you know, traditional US-centric uh, data sources of proving who you are. Persona is fundamentally all about giving businesses that control. So to take a step back as to where we came up with Persona and how this came to be, my background is not the most interesting. I was an engineer at Square for about half a decade. But one really, really fascinating thing that happened with Square was the evolution of Square as purely just a business focusing on merchants and payment processing Mm -hmm. towards an entire ecosystem of different services. This could be anywhere from Capital, which was our first lending. Yeah, small business lending. They do that. Yeah, exactly. Caviar for uh, food delivery business banking, payroll, cash. And it, within cash, this had an uh, arm of you know, peer-to-peer money transfer, investments, and even like crypto. So there are so many different use cases just within Square. And for each one of these use cases, how we tackled identity, how we thought about, how do you verify who someone is? If you're verifying someone for payment processing versus if you're verifying someone for a loan, and even the size of the loan, how you actually ensure that this is an individual who is who they say they are and whether you want to do business with them is fundamentally different. So that was actually the genesis around the idea around persona, which is there isn't this one size fits all anymore towards identity. Historically, oftentimes we all, you know, I think this industry has always chased for the next silver bullet. What's going to be this magical way to verify that everyone is who they say they are. 20 years ago, this might've been your social security number. Every single person submits, you know, an SSN. And of course, you know, if the person has their SSN, then yes, they must be who they say they are. Over time, this evolves. Yeah, and that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So yeah, today, that's just not true. I feel like if, you know, if I want your social security number, I'm probably not that many degrees away from getting it if I wanted it. Like, I, I feel like I, I personally believe our social security numbers are definitely out there. So you're hitting on a good point. It used to be that one little, you know, piece of, I don't even know what kind of paper. It's like instruction paper. Do you remember back in the day, like you couldn't even laminate it? Like it was like, no, you have to have the original. Like, what are you talking about? This thing is. Yeah, you couldn't you touch that thing. Yeah, you know, as soon as you tampered with it, in fact, we came invalidated. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to bring this around. Like this was your government documentation to do whatever. Like it was insane that that's how you had to prove yourself. But anyway, continue on. Like, yeah, that is archaic at best. No, I mean, I'll even give a kind of side story around this because there's a lot of interesting facts about social security numbers. In the early days, SSNs weren't like randomly generated either. They were actually generated based off of which hospital you were born out of and then an incremental digit. So if you knew someone's age and where they were from, you could almost guess their SSN. It was like a VIN. A VIN numbers are coded. Exactly. You can look at a VIN number if you knew the VIN number codes and know what year, what factory, uh, everything. (laughs) Yeah, everything was in there, right? So, you know, as a form of identification, it's actually wild that this is what we ended up having to, you know, essentially uh, 
that was all we had. But that's where it kind of evolved from. After that, we introduced kind of alternative forms, right? So uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember these questions that you used to get asked, like, oh, which, where did you go to high school? Or, you know, like, where did you have your first mortgage? All these things. And it evolved really into this knowledge-based question kind of form of identification. Yeah. Today, government IDs and biometrics are becoming increasingly popular. But simultaneously, for all of these different forms, there's a tax as well. For SSNs, SSNs have been leaked. For a lot of these background-based questions, you know, if you just literally look up Rick's song, California, you can probably find a bunch of information about my own personal background online. And there's all these people finder type information that show so much data just about me as an individual scraped from the rest of the web. So this knowledge-based form is becoming weaker and weaker. Uh, for government IDs, forgeries, digital forgeries and tampering is becoming increasingly sophisticated. Even for biometrics, we're seeing you know, how an individual can create deep fakes. And honestly, these days, the ability for people to create deep fakes is becoming more and more easy than ever before. Yeah, you were saying before, like stealing photos. They don't need to steal photos. They can look at your TikTok and probably get all they need. You know what I mean? Like the amount of information or pictures of you, you know, it's pretty substantial. You literally just need one video and you can already create a, a very, very sophisticated deep fake. It's unbelievable today. Crazy. So to take a step back into all of this, like we're talking about all these different forms. The reason for all this was really that, you know, while at Square, we're really seeing how each one of these were becoming more and more tailored for every business line that we had. So if you're doing lending, that's fundamentally different from if you're doing payment processing. If you're signing up as a driver for Caviar, that's, again, different from opening up a business banking account. And for each one of these, we started creating more and more kind of building blocks on how can we actually make it such that we have this universal system. And the idea around Persona was a little bit more audacious than this. Could we create something that even expanded beyond just fintech. Could we create something that could apply to gig economy for customers like Postmates, to you know hospitality with folks like Sonder, for uh, edtech like Coursera, to fintech as uh, like with Gusto. And we've put a lot of emphasis on making kind of this universal layer. And the way in which we enabled this is giving our customers back that control, giving them building blocks to mix and match all these different approaches to make sure it makes the most sense for them as a business and to make the most sense for individuals as well. So I guess the next question is one of the things that a lot of people are very conscious of now is data privacy, right? That's certainly becoming more and more prevalent. If Persona has access to all this information, what are you guys doing to make sure in, you know, that, yes, I want a tool that easily can verify who I am, but I also want it to be protected, obviously, because now you know more about me probably than any single source of truth. Like, how are you guys approaching this? Is it like a, like I'm thinking like, is it a way where when I go to verify myself, you run verification checks, but you're not actually storing the data. How's your company thinking about how to protect this information? Because if you become as big as you hope to become, then you will also be potentially the single, you know what I mean? You'll, you'll be like an Experian type company where you'll have so much information on so many people. So there's two halves to this. The first of which is we view ourselves as an infrastructure company. We're not trying to be like a central data bureau. We're not trying to become like Experian where we're like centralizing all this data about every single individual and creating an entire directory of who people are. Gotcha. Our goal actually is a lot more about giving businesses the tools. You know, at the end of the day, actually, every one of these businesses that I mentioned before, historically, they were building this internally. They build their own data stores for how to manage this data, how mm -hmm. they collect this data. They'd have to constantly reinvent the wheel. Oftentimes, how we make this analogy is it's a very similar actually to the world pre-Stripe. Pre-Stripe, it was every business out there was just storing your credit card information, building all this infrastructure collected, have to adhere to PCI compliance. Mm -hmm. And you know, today, it's so easy to actually do credit card information. And through that, it's actually become much less risky as well. The number of data leaks out there, especially if you're operating on one of these modern payment platforms, is virtually zero. 
And it's very, very rare that we hear about these data leaks for a lot of these kind of major players. And for us, we're hoping to accomplish the same. We want to do something in the same way that AWS, most of these kind of businesses we work with, they historically host on AWS. We hope them that they view us in the same way. We're offering them identity services that they can integrate into their platform that's built with a security and privacy first mentality to make sure that they wouldn't have to build this themselves. For a lot of business out there, that's not their core expertise. They're not in here to, you know, effectively try to reinvent the most like well-encrypted, well-secured service out there. They're here to really offer their consumer services that can help simplify their lives. And our goal is to make sure that they can do that in the most secure and privacy-centric way possible. So from that perspective, we're a data processor. We're not the ones who are like really focused on making sure that, you know, uh, creating the centralized data bureau. We're actually really at the end of the day trying to give them the tools and infrastructure to manufacture exactly what they want. So it's, again, just to bring it to someone who's on the outsider looking in, it's like a tool that can verify. Like you said before, so if I say work in mission, you know, Persona can run a quick check and say like, does this person work in mission? Confirmed. And then like it confirms it, but it doesn't have to store a record or anything like that. Yeah, actually uh, beyond that, we can even redact it. Oh, okay. Right, so for all of our customers, Right. Like they can just say, so a lot of times they'll just use us as their data store. Think of it almost as if we're their database. They own this database. They have full control over it. If they want to delete the data, they can delete it. Right. But if you're a fintech customer who otherwise would have to, you know, store this data for seven years for compliance or regulatory <laughs> purposes. Yeah. You know, you could store it within your own services. And now you have to deal with all the encryption, the uh, data access controls, the policies around it, or you can store it on Persona and get this for free. And the moment you need to redact it, you can also do so through our platform as well. All right. So walk me through day one, because this is one of those applications when I think of if you were to develop this application that it has to be like, I know everyone says, you know, you got to ship an MVP or, you know, a minimum viable product just to get it out there. But this seems like one of these kind of tools that you have to be more than an MVP just to to get your proof of concept. Because like, imagine I'm a a vendor of some sort and, or a company of some sort. And Rick, you walk into my office and like, and you're like, Hey, we can verify this. I'm like, cool. I want to verify that. And you're like, Oh, I can't do that yet. It's like, okay, this is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> how did, no, absolutely. How did you approach building this? Because this is, this is one of those things where I feel like, you know, to an outsider, it looks like you'd have to be quite robust to even launch an MVP, but I'd love to hear how you approached it. Okay. So you got an idea. Walk me through day one. You got an idea. You and your partner, like this is how we're going after it. We're going to build this. What did your MVP look like, and how did you start collecting that feedback that said this is going to work? So interestingly enough, we didn't go down the traditional kind of startup path in this uh, this game, right? <laughs> I, I know like the traditional one where it's like, hey, you know, like let's just get a couple customers and we'll solve the problems later. Uh, we knew the response that we had from day one. I actually remember very clearly a conversation that Charles and I had. I think within our first week of starting, which was like. What we're building here could be dangerous. We have to make sure we do this right. Yeah. So I'll speak a little bit back to this, but we also had one big benefit, which is unlike a lot of, I think, companies out there who are kind of, they have to do a lot of research about the idea and like, you know, kind of find something that fits the market. Going in, we'd worked on this for a bit and we kind of knew, we had a fairly good sense of what people needed already. So we had a lot more confidence that we wouldn't have to pivot this in the future. We had a kind of a pretty clear vision of exactly what we need to build. And a lot more of the challenge was, this is a lot to build. How are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. So day one for us was, a, you know, to no one's surprise, a lot of focus on infrastructure. So my co-founder, Charles, was an engineer at Dropbox for a long time, focused very, very heavily on data infrastructure. So both of us kind of had a security adjacent background. For myself, it was a lot about Square and I'd worked on identity there as well. So this could be anywhere from securing personal information, handling it sensitively and all of that. And for him, very similarly around files and everything there. 
So both of us actually focused a lot on infrastructure from day one. We were really making sure that every aspect of our platform, the foundation around it, was built with fault tolerance in mind, with scalability in mind, and with security in mind. And simultaneously, when we scaled out the team, to no one's surprise, the team largely came from folks that we already knew. So a large number of folks here come from Dropbox and Square, where you know, security is really woven into everyone's mindset. A lot of us here have handled PCI compliance, which at least today is still more rigorous than a lot of uh, identity compliance and regulations. So we kind of had almost a default security first type of mentality towards everything that we were building. In that sense, though, day one was much less interesting. A lot of it for the first year was just constantly building, making sure that we're doing everything right, getting us to kind of like that first quote unquote MVP. But the MVP for us was much longer journey. Yeah. So by the time we even got you know our first couple of customers, we had a pretty robust platform at this point, point. Uh, one that you know was already battle tested in a lot of different ways. We already kind of had been engaging in SOC two and getting our certifications and compliance certifications in place, and we were already working on you know, making sure that this could actually handle a fair amount of scale and you know, also handle a variety of different attacks we might throw at it. The other half that wasn't mentioned is that given how where identity sits within kind of the onboarding funnel for a lot of businesses out there, it's also really important that we're just not down. Yeah, you got to be up. Like even beyond like getting hacked, it's also unbelievably important that, right? Because this will actually just lead to outages for quite possibly almost any business's most important kind of experience. So First year for us was building. We spent a tremendous amount of time building. Today, uh, you know, the team is still mostly engineers. Now we've gone you know, into a really fortunate position where we can kind of look to scale out on the business side of things and really kind of uh, continue to evolve there. But at our core, we've taken a very engineering first and security first mentality because we fundamentally knew since day one the responsibility we have and what we have to do here. Yeah, that makes total sense. So like when you, <laughs> you said your platform was quite robust by the time you had your first customers. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall and re- replay that day. What were those first conversations like? Because that's a lot of trust, right? Because for whatever reason, if I'm verifying people via offline methods, as you, you know, we know plenty of industries do it, medical, financial, you named them all in the right, very beginning. You know, right now that's, you know, the reality is they probably have some like an auditor guy that, or does homework to make sure that the person says that they are who they say they are. We already admit that. So how did those first conversations go? What did you demonstrate to give the first customers to be like, oh, okay, we're going to give Persona and Rick a shot. Yeah. So the first half is always making sure that you show value, right? Like the security piece will always come in as the second half. And it's a very, very important second half. But the first half was really making sure that the experience itself was seamless. It was beautiful. So Generally, the demo that we always put our customers through is showing them the verification experience, actually going through it live. I'll verify myself, run through, and I'll always show kind of a failure, showcasing that this isn't just you know, a uh, file process and then some mechanical Turk in the back actually <laughs> validating the idea you know, and the quote-unquote AI. This is actually working. And how you do this is by showing a failure and showing that the failure fails in like just a matter of seconds. Then showcasing the dynamism, the flexibility, showcasing how I can go through a variety of different flows. And at this point, hopefully, we've communicated value to our customers. We've shown that this could be something that they could see within their own platform. It solves real tangible problems for them. And then after that, it's a lot more about answering the questions around like, well, what's going to happen if you're down? How are you going to handle this data sensitively? What are the capabilities? How do you retain this data? What are your kind of uh, certifications? How are you managing all of this? So this is also why even prior to some of our earliest customers, we're already pursuing things like SOC 2, ISO, because it was so important for us to also be able to demonstrate not only you know, through our words, but also through kind of 
our actions, yeah. how much emphasis we put on all of this. Uh, there's plenty of companies. If you don't have those minimum certifications, they won't even do business with you anyway. So you'd be out. Exactly. Uh, I do have an interesting question. This is more about your personality. So, you know, you've mentioned your co-founder. I've not met this person yet, but uh, you, you know, I believe you are the CEO and the co- your co-founder is the CTO, right? All right. How did you decide on the roles? Because you have a very technical background as well. Are you a better salesperson or how did you end up becoming the CEO versus your co-founder? Well, <laughs> I think the simplest way to put this is that my co-founder is a much better engineer than myself. So that's a very, <laughs> you know, a very common question folks ask is, uh, who's the better engineer of the two of us? And uh, it's him. I think like around the company, everyone knows this. I'm very, very comfortable admitting this. You know, Charles is a prodigy. He is anyone who's ever worked with him. They can say hands down, he's one of the greatest engineers they've ever worked with. He is unbelievably fast, unbelievably intelligent and brilliant. And, you know, I think the thing that always makes him stand out is he's also incredibly kind, one of the kindest people I've ever worked with. Uh-huh. So in that perspective, I thought it was very, very clear that at the very least, if there's someone who's going to be the technical leader here, it should be him, not myself. All right. That puts a new requirement on you. And I do believe that the people that tend to sell like advanced technology typically have to be very versed in it. So, I mean, you've obviously fit the bone there. How did you react when that, you know, a lot of technical guys, they're not comfortable selling. Now, through this podcast, you're very clearly very eloquent. You speak very openly. I love it. But were you used to that? Had you ever sold before? Because that's part of that process of being, I mean, your CEO, you got to convince someone to use your product. Uh, I'm better now. I can't say I'm by any means good. But in the early days, it was uh, it was awful, I think is the right way to put it. Uh, the amount of nerves getting onto one of these calls was unbelievable. And then afterwards, I'd be reflecting over the conversation, taking notes throughout it all, thinking through all the things I should, should not have said. Um, there were a lot of calls that we messed up on too in the early days. Got a little too rambly, didn't talk about what actually mattered, didn't focus nearly enough on the customer, was way too focused on what we do and not enough about what they care about. All the amateur mistakes we went through. I'd say, honestly, the biggest help that I got was a lot of friends, a lot of mentors going back and forth, mock selling over and over. <laughs> doing all of the reps and trying to get a little bit better at it. And frankly, today, it's really the team. I mean, today, I'm not yeah. a good salesperson. I don't think people consider me such. Uh, I would like to say I'm a fairly decent engineer cool. who can also understand things from the sales side. But honestly, I think the blessing that we have now is really when more folks joined us. COO was the first one who really kind of evolved this process. She joined us incredibly early on. She coached us a lot. Daniel, the first uh, one of our PMs, one of the first folks on our growth team. We actually have a meeting internally here at Persona called Pitch Perfect, where literally it was him criticizing how I pitched over <laughs> and over and over, right? Working together to really improve this entire process and making it such that you know, I am where I am today as well. Awesome. Well, listen, Rick, it was awesome having you on the show today at IT Visionaries. But wait, before you go, we have to do the lightning round. You ready? I'm ready. All right. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Rick, You've shared a lot about your life and your work and some of the stuff that you've done at Persona, but now we want to know about you outside of work. So you're going to hear some quick questions and you, know, you don't have to go too deep into any answer. We look forward to learning about you outside of your world of Persona. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right. What's the one thing you like to do for fun? These days, big fan of learning to play basketball. It's a tad late. You know, I'm uh, in my 30s now, so it's a uh... It's a little bit late to pick this up, but uh, I've been trying to learn. A lot of my close friends are avid basketball players. Listen, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that too. Learn any anything you can learn physically, you should. I mean, don't wait because you already put yourself on the clock. So you're playing basketball, you're learning that. Any other things you like to do when you're away from work? 
board games and video games were historically where uh, I, you know, I enjoyed a bit more of. Uh, it doesn't lend itself the best to basketball, uh, <laughs> but it's also better on my knees. So historically, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite board game? Ooh, I think uh, all of these kind of deception-based board games, right? Uh, I think what's it called? Uh, Resistance or Mafia-type games are fantastic. I'm a big fan of them. Awesome. Where do you uh, currently reside? Because we know that the world's gone remote. Are you still in the Bay Area? I don't know. Like, have you moved elsewhere? I'm still in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Uh, I still live with my co-founder, actually. Charles and I are still roommates. Dude, that means you never stop working. How many days, how many hours in a day are you working? Um, It varies, I think is the answer here, right? At times, I mean, you know, I suppose it could be involved with work, but is anything of value being done? Honestly, the answer is no. So I think, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people love to say they work like 100 hour weeks, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure 20 hours of those uh, of that week is uh, me goofing off with Charles and making stupid jokes. <laughs> hey, listen, that's how you guys are going to probably uncover some of your best discoveries, too. Uh, I, some of them have come through that. So it, 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 I like to say it hasn't been a complete waste, but the ROI hasn't been great. What's one experience that you've gone through that you hope Persona will solve? Honestly, what I always tell folks is I, I hope Persona doesn't change the world. Uh, you know, I think there's enough startups out there all trying to fundamentally change the world. I hope the next time we put in our personal information, we don't think to ourselves this is going to be leaked. Like this is just, you know, in the same way, I always say that today, when we put in our credit card information, I'm buying something online on Amazon or even some random Shopify store. I don't think about it anymore. I just put in my credit card and I'm waiting for when this thing gets shipped over. Yeah, I feel pretty protected. Exactly, right? But like yeah. 20 years ago, this wasn't the case. I remember actually back in fifth grade, talking to my uh, dad, trying to convince him to buy something online. And he's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Putting in your credit card information online? <laughs> that's not a good idea, right? But that's amazing how much today he's on Amazon all the time, purchasing things, you know, back and forth. Like, you know, there's shipments coming in every week. So that's a great illustration of how much the financial infrastructure has evolved to a point where people don't think about this anymore. I hope we feel the same way around identity. Today, I feel more secure playing my credit card information for some random Shopify store than I do playing my social security number for oftentimes a lot of the major financial institutions. I think that's incredible. And hopefully we can really find that gap such that, you know, if someone succeeds, we just don't think about this anymore. It almost fades into the background. Listen, I'm with you. Once I finally understood, I was thinking, Max, so there's every time I've applied for money, uh, whether it's through business loans or whether it's through personal credit, mortgage, whatever, car loan, the amount of documentation you have to pr produce is obscene. I look forward to the day that where it's just like a, just a simple couple clicks and I can be like, boom, I can walk out with a vehicle. I'm sure companies like Carvana and stuff can't wait for this as well. I think uh, we're hoping so too. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, it was awesome having you on the show today at IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your story of how you developed Persona. And thanks for sharing your vision for the future. When we first started this conversation, I definitely did not quite understand what Persona was, but I thought you did a great job explaining it. And I fully understand its use case now. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure having this conversation. With you.